Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, we have another singleton. If you weren't here last week, I had a couple people talk to me and they were talking about that last 10%. Anybody have a conversation this past week? We don't have time this morning for you to get up and talk about it, but Maybe in your small groups in the future, you could talk about that last 10%. Anybody have an interesting conversation this week? Just show me your heads, maybe, yes, no, all right, what are you talking about? Well, if you weren't here, there's not, I'm not going to rehash the whole sermon. Uh, so this is a singleton. We are going to have a, your next series will not take place until September 14th, and we said it's uh, going to be loosely based on John Ortberg's uh, latest book on soul keeping, which we are very excited about. Uh, but today's message is one that I'd been in this story, I would really say, a couple of years, never knew when I was going to preach it. And I was just kind of waiting, and as a preacher, you wait for opportunities, does it fit in a series, is it a single sermon? So it kind of just worked out that I would preach it here today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to, it's in 2 Kings chapter 5. How many of you are familiar with the story of Naaman in the Old Testament in 2 Kings? How many of you, are, I see some, yeah, some of you remember that, some of you are like, no, nah, I didn't. I don't remember that story from Sunday school, the flannel graphs, right, VBS. Remember some of that stuff? Well, this is like a, a good story that you'd learn in Sunday school. It would be a lot of fun to talk to the uh, Kidmo children about. And let me preface this story. Let me even give you my thesis in the beginning. And I think this story, before we even get into it, I'm going to go verse by verse. I think the story addresses an expectation that all of us have at some point in our lives. All of us. It doesn't matter who you are. I think you have this expectation. And the expectation is we expect God to give us an explanation as to why he does the things that he does, why he allows the things that he allows, and why he asks us to follow certain commands that are written in this book, the Bible. Right? How many of us have you been there before? You have asked certain questions to God. God, why are you asking me to do this? God, why are you asking me to manage my money this way? Why are you asking me to manage my morality in such a way when I see other people out in the world and they're not living that way? Why should I have to live that way? Why should I have to stay in a tough marriage? I think you need to explain yourself. Did you really just say that? Yeah, because I know some of you have said that before. Usually these, that, that type of question is not something you say publicly, right? But you say it privately. You say it alone when you're in your house and you're th- ruminating on things and you're pondering the bigger questions in your life. God, will you explain yourself here in this situation? Because it makes zero sense to me. We treat God like an elected official. It's kind of like, you know what, God? You're a little, you know, we, we put you in office and yeah, that's great. You know, you garnered 51% of the popular vote. You're in there though now and you need to do what we want you to do. And if you don't, we're going to have problems. But I need you to really help me and you need to give me an explanation. And part of the problem is we are such a sophisticated people in the 21st century. We have figured some pretty cool things out. Pastor Joe told us a couple of weeks ago about the polar vortex. We have figured out weather systems. We have figured out the greenhouse effect. We have figured out, you know, we can predict the weather. They don't do a good job predicting the weather, but better than they did 100 years ago. And we are a sophisticated people. And with that enlightenment 
comes a sense of arrogance. Arrogance. Remember when you were a kid, maybe, and you, you know, went to watch a magician? Did you ever watch a magician? And like, you're like, that's really cool. And then maybe they told you, well, they probably didn't tell you, but somebody else was like, I figured the trick out. And they figured the trick out, right? And then you're like, it's not really that cool anymore because now I know what it is. Or say like a watchmaker. You know how the watchmaker designed and made this watch. Does that diminish the brilliance of the watchmaker because you know exactly how he made what he made? No, it doesn't. But we live in a world where we understand things and we feel like we can control things. We can resist aging cosmetic surgery, people will spend billions of dollars this year and years moving forward. We don't have to submit to certain diseases that people in the ancient world did because of the medical technology that's out there. And if it wasn't, you know, well, if you think about it, like some smart people that we have on this planet, what did they figure out? They figured out how to kind of create life and then recreate life Pretty amazing, right? Some of you were all miracles in here, right? The fact that you're in this room, you are a miracle. But there are other people in this room, you're a real miracle. Because for whatever reason, your mom couldn't get pregnant. We don't know if it was mom's fault or dad's fault. But you couldn't get pregnant. And then, boom, one day the technology came, you know, into being. And then you were born. You came on this planet. And the real surprise was, though, that you had a brother or a sister. They couldn't control that part. But we really think that we can control everything in this world. And that's part of our problem. You see, we've learned, we look at the computer programmer, oh, I figured out how he does that. We look at the watchmaker, I figured out how the artist did that. Come on, that's part of our problem. And we discover things, and then we push back on God. God, you know what? I understand so much about this world. And we lose the sense of awe and wonder for who he actually is. Just because we have figured certain things out about this world and how it works does not diminish any of his power, not by one iota. He is still all-powerful. But the science world out there, people will tell you everywhere you look, we figured this stuff out. We don't need God. Wow, hubris. What pride. What arrogance. You know, God doesn't really owe us an explanation. What if God is kind of like God? What if he is? What if God is really sovereign? What if you think about the fact that he created the human mind in such a way that we accumulate generational knowledge? That your, your grandparents learned certain things. Your parents learned certain things. We accumulated that knowledge. Your dog Fido at home, right? Your dog didn't accumulate any knowledge from his parents or grandparents. Actually, I guess from breeding, he's probably dumber, right, when you think about it. They don't pass on any of that knowledge. You think about what has happened in this world when you look at us as human beings. Come on. What if God really is still like a king? What if God really is still sovereign? What if God doesn't owe you an explanation in your life? That is the thesis of this message. With that as a background, will you turn to 2 Kings chapter 5? If I've lost you, I hope I pick you back up. If you're looking at the title of the message, The Big Dipper, you'll understand it by the end if you've never heard this story before. All right, this story takes place about 850 BC. We're going to see interaction here between a, a, a Jewish prophet 
and a man that is a, he's from, he's an Aramean, he's from another country. An interaction, two people who thought they'd probably never meet, and this Aramean man that you'll meet in the story named Naaman, somebody who's going to come in contact with the God of Israel, Jehovah, somebody he never thought in a thousand years he'd ever know, want to know, he's going to meet in this story. And so with that as a background, here is the first verse, Second Kings, starting at the top. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Put that little part in there. So here you go. You are meeting this man, Naaman. He is a master military strategist. He's is, he is an Aramean, so this is an enemy. He has just clobbered and annihilated Israel, demolished them, decimated them, destroyed them. This is a guy, when there was infighting among the Aramean generals, this guy became the top dog. Everybody looked to him. This is the height of his career. The writer wants you to know, look at Naaman. This is the pinnacle of his life. He has garnered success and achievement, wealth, everything you could possibly imagine in this world, but he has leprosy. He wakes up one day and maybe sees a spot in his hand. And in the ancient world, what was leprosy? Leprosy was a death sentence. And isn't this irony? Naaman, who's this great military strategist, he can control armies. He holds the life and death of thousands in his hand, but he can't get himself out of this mess. In the words of Clint Eastwood, a man has to know his limitations. (laughs) Big Clint fan, right? Really, he doesn't know his limitations. He's used to bribing. He's used to to buying his way out of anything, controlling things. But I'm sorry, Naaman, not in this situation because he has what is known as leprosy. And that is the, you become the ultimate outsider. You're sent outside of the community. Nobody wanted to be around you. And then look, the, the story picks up. And this is one of my favorite parts of the story in the beginning. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. Let me just stop right here. Israel is not the powerhouse that you think of at this point in its history. There were constantly uh, border skirmishes. Kind of sound familiar? Not that much different than what's going on in the world today. Constantly border skirmishes. And the Arameans were northeast of where Israel was. So what had happened is Naaman had obviously led some raids and annihilated the Israeli army. There are some raids. Hide the women and children. They're coming in. He's coming in strong. He's bringing in the troops. And then what happens here? They take back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. Every commentator would say this young girl is probably between the ages of 12 and 14 years old. What grade would you be, 12 to 14? I don't even know. Seventh, eighth grade. Pretty young girl, wouldn't you say? Young girl, right? Okay. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. I want you to stop and reflect just on that verse right there. Easy to move past this. Think about this is a real girl. This is a real story. This is a 7th or 8th grade girl, 12 to 14 years old, who has lost her family. Have to imagine her parents were probably killed in this raid. 
Here she is. She now becomes a slave for a foreign people. Talk about cultures colliding. And here she is. She's working for Naaman's wife. She's working for Mrs. Naaman. She will not have a family, most likely. She will not have kids. The life that she knew is now gone. Talk about shattered dreams, broken dreams. What is one supposed to do in a situation like that? You would want vengeance. You would want revenge for what this man had done to you. But look what she says. Not, uh, it's if only, if only. You have to see those words. If only I can get my master to the prophet who is in Israel, he could heal this guy of his affliction. You know what really, when you, you talk about, and I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit, but when you think about this, she has two choices in here. One is to forgive, right? To absorb the sin, the, the sin from what this man has done, to absorb that. That's what, really, that, that's what forgiveness really is. She has a choice to do that, or she can say probably what many people in the world would say. You know what? The old goat got leprosy. <laughs> I saw another finger fall off today. Hey, name it. I think your toe's going to fall off. Hey, you see that? That's all. Oh, man, that's, that's terrible. That stinks for you. I can't wait to dance on your grave. It's going to be so much fun, just like you dance on the graves of my parents. You would think that would be a response, right? That's what the world would say. Come on, look, look what happened here. Look what Naaman has done. Look what he's done to your family. That is not what her response is. Her response is, you know what? If only I can get him to the prophet. If only I can get him there. Everything in her life has been ruined. This is almost 3,000 years later. This little girl that's in the dark, you know, in the back corner of the world, decides to forgive somebody. And almost 3,000 years later, we're talking about her. Do we know what her name is? No idea what her name is. It doesn't matter. But 3,000 years later, because of what she did, God said, I want this story included in the Bible. Why do I say that to you? What if 3,000 years from now, I don't think the world's going to be as we know it, but what if 3,000 years from now, somebody was talking about your story? Is it possible? And you say, that's crazy talk. Is it possible? You bet it's possible. You bet it's possible that somebody could be talking about your story 3,000 years later. So here's this young girl who decides to forgive. And let me give you, let me, let me put a time out and, and hold on, give you this too. I'm talking to a people, and I can't tell you the story yet, but behind the scenes, I've been working with these people. It is one of the most amazing stories. Remember the turkey lady? We were talking about having the turkey. This story's better. We're going to be flying people in from Minnesota. We're working on dates. We're going back and forth. It's been a slow process. You are going to hear one of the most amazing stories ever as it pertains to forgiveness, and if you're not here, I'll hunt you down. If you don't come that Sunday, you're, and really, it's going to be a story. You're going to want to invite people. We will let you know well in advance what the date, the date is for that. But you're going to have to, we're, again, I'm, we're flying as a church, picking up the tab to fly two people in from Minnesota to tell their story. Do you think the story is going to be pretty good? Do you think you're going to want to bring your friends? Are you dead today? Are you with me or what? Yeah, okay, all right. I know you, I, listen, I know it's a little late, but stay with me. You're going to want to come, and you're going to want to hear this story. So moving on, in this story, all right, four and five, picks up. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. 
So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Right? You notice the last part there, why the ten changes of clothing? Because in the ancient world, everything was handmade. So it would have been so expensive. This, two commentators said this. This amount right here, the ten talents of silver and the six thousand shekels of gold and the clothing would have represented between one third and one quarter, one quarter, one third of the net worth of an entire kingdom. Did you get that? Not one person's net worth, of an entire kingdom. You see, what's going on here with Naaman is, Naaman thinks he's coming, he's going to go, hopefully this prophet can heal him. The king thinks, let me send this guy, hopefully the prophet can heal him, but God has something else in store. And what one commentator said, and I liked it, the writer wants us to know, this man is beloved and venerated. He is esteemed. People respect him, adore him. It's the king and it's probably the populace, the people that are saying, here, here is our money. Here is what we have because we esteem him in that regard. We love this guy. And if there's any way that we can see Naaman get healed, we want that to come to fruition. So the people do that. And then in 6 and 7, picks up. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, right? So the king is sending a letter. Now, again, isn't this funny? The Arameans have just slaughtered Israel, right? The Israelites. Now you're sending a letter, you need a favor. Kind of, kind of strange. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. The king, when a king would rip their clothes, that represents utter anguish, grief. That this king is looking at it going, really, they want to pick a fight with us now? Doesn't the king, uh, the Aramean king, realize that I can't heal him of his leprosy? What am I supposed to do? So he obviously wants to get in another quarrel, so I get it. He's trying to pick a fight. He's trying to pick a fight with me. And he wants me, in essence, to say, you know what? Can't do anything. You throw the first punch. That's not what's happening, but that's what the text is actually saying. And so the king is anguished, doesn't know. And then what happens in verse 8? Elijah, the prophet, gets news of this. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So here he is, the man of God finds out, catches wind that this guy Naaman is back. Can you imagine the people? Like, you see, like, you're just living somewhere, you're hanging out with your family, and you see this guy come in with his entourage. What would you have been thinking? You already know what this guy has done. You're like, oh, here we go again. Really? This guy's coming back? Hide the women and children. We have major problems ahead of us. Again, again, again. It doesn't end. So here he is, he's coming in, and this brings us to the point of the message. What area in your life, step out of the story, in what area of your life are you wrestling with God? Where are you wrestling with God? Is it something relating to your family? Is it something with one of your kids? Is it something, I don't know, something you read? Something your parents are telling you? Is it something financial? Is it something in your marriage? I don't know what is it. Something at work? What is that thing that you're wrestling with God about? Because I'll tell you, there's something more at stake than the details and the, the surface circumstances 
of your obedience. There's something more at stake. You see, in this story, the point of this story, Naaman thinks he's coming to see the prophet to get one thing, and God is kind of laughing behind the scenes. You think you're coming to get healed of your leprosy, but you need to understand I have something so much better for you in store than you even know or understand, can possibly fathom. You don't think you need this, but I know you need this. You see that? That's where he's taking this story. That's where we are. And Naaman is coming saying, listen, I'm going to pay my way out of this one. Whatever I have to do, I'm going to make sure I get healed of my leprosy. But God has something bigger in store. So here is Naaman, heads out to the boonies, right? Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots. He stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Right? Kind of like a, I don't know, I, I picture like a, a western, even though it's not like a, a duel. But I picture like the, you know, the tumbleweeds rolling through the town, and there's like this little shack over in the corner in no man's land, and that's Elisha's, Elisha's abode. And that's where he is, and here's this guy named, and he comes, and he's, you know, dressed in his, you know, military outfit, and everything's, he just looks perfect, right? And he's there with his chariots and horses and helicopters, and he's got everything you could possibly need, right? Everyone's there, and what is he waiting for? He's standing there, he's waiting for the prophet to come out, right? Imagine Elisha's inside watching CNN, by the way. He's not going to come out. So Elisha's inside, and what does he do? He's like, I'm going to send out one of my interns. And I'm laughing about this week. I'm like, can you imagine being the intern and Elisha the prophet? You work for him, right? You're learning from him. And he's like, yeah, go outside. You go outside. You're going to talk to the guy. And you're like, what? I'm going to go talk to this guy who's just slaughtered countless people, right? Families everywhere. And you want me to go outside and you want me to talk to him? I don't think so. Why am I bringing that up? Because I hope you see and understand in the story, God does not talk to the VIPs. You seeing that as we're going through this? God has not talked to any of the important people. He has talked to a lowly, oppressed slave girl. He is talking through an intern, and you're going to see as we move forward, he's going to be talking through somebody else that is not looked at as having any real stature or influence or affluence in society there. So here he is. What does the prophet do? Goes outside, right? He says, go wash in the Jordan seven times, right? And peace, see you later, I'm out of here, right? I'm not sitting out here to talk to this guy. I'm done. Goes inside, kind of waits. What do you think Naaman's response is going to be? I'm kind of, you know, Naaman, right? You're probably, you're waiting. Where's this big ceremony? The prophet's going to come out, wave his arms, do some cool stuff, and I'm going to be healed, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be the same Naaman that I was before. He's in for a rude awakening. And as the text moves forward, but Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Or not the Abana and the Parfar, like just make stuff up when you're going past it. The rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, those are rivers in his homeland, right? He's like, why do I have to come here to the dirty Jordan River? Why can't I go back home? The rivers are much cleaner over there. I don't want to wash in this muddy, just gross place. This is not what I'm accustomed to. Let me say to you, what are the the waters of the Jordan, the, the dirty water of the Jordan? You know what it represents? It represents... The monotonous and mundane moments of our lives. 
those moments when you're sitting there with your kids, like I was last night trying to prepare for a sermon. I just finished a fantasy football draft, which I absolutely dominated, by the way. And a couple of the other pe- members of the league are in here, and they know it. They won't tell, you know, I shouldn't say it, whatever. And I'm sitting, I'm tired, exhausted, have to finish my sermon. There I'm in, in bed with Jameson, and I'm reading Curious, the last thing I want to read is, Cur- I love Curious George, but it's late, right? You know, I have stuff to do, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is where it's at. You're preaching this, this is where it's at. This is it right here. This is the monotonous. This is the mundane. That's exactly where God meets us. Pastor Linda mentioned Eckhart Tolle. I've read Eckhart Tolle stuff. (gasps) Aren't you a Christian? Yeah, I read his stuff. I did. The guy had some really wonderful things to say. Christ is not the center of what he's saying. He's raw. It's definitely new age, but it's a principle that is in the Gospels. Talking about living in the present moment. I'll stop. Let me just stop. I got to stop. I just keep going. All right, so you see, so he's there, and he's at the muddy creek, and he's like, no way I'm going in that muddy creek. Why? He's like, I'm not going to be embarrassed. Wouldn't you be the same way? Yeah, I know what you're going to do. I know what you're setting me up for, and there are going to be 30,000, right, Israelites standing around there, and boy, look at the guy, look at the kid, he's taking his armor off, and he's going in the water, and he's jumping around like a little kid. Go in seven times. You got to go in. Went in once, go twice, three times, four times, five, six, seven times. I was like, hey, he's still not healed. Look at him, look at him. He's like, I'm not doing that. Can you blame the guy? Again, expectations of God. What is God actually doing in our lives? We push back. Why are you asking me to do this? It makes no sense. We need to understand a lot of times God's going to ask us to do things in obedience that don't make any sense. They make absolutely zero sense. But we want to know. I do. I want to know everything. I want to see the map laid out for me. Tell me where to go. The GPS. Turn right. Turn left. Go here. Go there. Right? Aren't you with me? You're the same way. And in verse 13, and his servants, again, another kind of funny part to me in the story, came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? They probably had to, they drew straws, right? Like, who's going to say this to him? Really, they, these are his servants, right? One of them had to go up, hey, boss, um, do you think that maybe you want to listen to the prophet? You know, your other, you know, your arm's about to fall off. You got real major problems. It's either like go into the water right now or you're going to die in like two weeks. All right, don't get mad at me. Listen, he told me to say it, but listen, I love you. I want you to really stick around here. Come on, just do it. And then he's like, hey, if he told you to like take some ring and, and like, I don't know, throw it in like some like really, you know, Mount Doom, like, you know, Lord of the Rings or, you know, I don't know. Okay. I wanted to bring a Lord of the, you know, some of you looking at me like, I couldn't do it, I couldn't finish it. I wanted to bring like a Lord of the Rings like, you know, reference, but some of you don't like Lord of the Rings when I talk about it, so I just stopped in the middle of it. I'm sorry. That's not, that was a bad one. How about like kill a dragon, if he told you to go into like a cave and kill a dragon, right boss, would you have done that? Or go kill like 10 lions, bring back the manes of those lions, right, bring back, wouldn't you have done that? Look what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to be like a little kid and go jump in the water seven times. Go take a dip in the water. As gross as it is, just do what he says. Do what he says. And then I love it. What happened? And, and you know, let me pause right here too. As I read this story probably a thousand times, I always stopped at this point. You want to know why? There came a point when this man who had garnered so much acclaim, so much fame and adoration, he's standing at the edge of the river, right? You see it? You see it? He's standing at the edge. And all those years of self-sufficiency, of independence, pride, and arrogance, I don't need anybody. 
I don't need anyone. How long do you think he sat there? I bet he sat there for a long time and thought long and hard. I really have to go in? I really have to trust? How about you? Are you standing right now at the edge of something and you're looking over and you're like, I don't know if I can really do this. And all those years for you of self-sufficiency and independence are staring you right at the face and God is asking you to do something. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust him? What about other people? Are they telling you too? God is confirming it through other people and you're still holding back? Is that you? Look what happens. He goes in. So he went down and dipped seven times. What if, come on, if there's like video in heaven, I want to watch this video of this great general go in the water, right? Take off his armor and jump right in. Don't you want to see that? What's wrong with you? What do you want to see? Come on then, tell me. What do you want to see that's so great from the Bible? This is a great story. That's what I want to see. You want to see David and Goliath. I get it. Those are the big, uh, I get it. This is a cool story. Anyway. So he dips seven times in the jaw. I really do. Listen to me. You're going to see me in heaven. I'm going to be in like a, like a room for a long time just watching like the movies, like laughing, going back, crying. I cry a lot. Crying, laughing, going back and forth, just looking at story after story. Won't th- I really think that we're going to be able to see these stories. Of course, right? Thank you, Pastor Linda. She just said, of course. I wasn't going to say it that soon, but she did. So if you have a question with that, you ask her, not me. <laughs> right? No, but I firmly believe that as well. Really. Why would God... Give us his word. and then, Come on, we're a visual people. I want to see it. I want to see it happen. Anyway, all right. So he goes and dips in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a you know, little child. I think of like my son, Nolan, like a little baby, right? And the skin is so smooth. and Yeah, okay. And restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean, and he returned to the man of God. Yeah, I bet he returned to the man of God after that. He and all his aides... And came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Now I know. Now he, knew, he knows something he didn't know he didn't know, right? He knows something now. I didn't know who the God of Israel was. Now I know. I didn't know I needed him. I didn't know who he was. Now I know. I thought, though, I love when he says that there, I now know, but he thought something. Where does he say it? He says in, I don't know, he says it somewhere there. I thought, before he's even going to go in, think about all the things that we think about. I thought this. I thought when I came to church, I thought when I came to a small group, it was going to work this way. Hey, listen, Pastor Lynn, that was a wonderful testimony that we heard this morning. You may have expectations, and and you may think you know how things are going to go. You never know. And sometimes community can be a little messy, but that's what makes it fun. You thought you came to a small group, this is going to happen. You thought you came to church, this is going to happen. You thought this is going to happen just, you know, when you became a Christian, just in general. I thought when I became a Christian, all my problems would go away and that life would become easy. <laughs> Stick around for a little while, all right? Stick around for a little while. And so he, here he is, Naaman, who is now healed, right? Healed of his leprosy. He gets his life back. And what do you, base, you, know, what do you say to somebody when you're giving your life back? What would you say? I would think a guy like Naaman would be like, listen, let me tell you something, Elijah. You can make a lot of money on this. A lot of money. Bring this show on the road. I know a lot of people that have leprosy back home, right? You and me, 50-50, right? We can make a killing with this. Just tell me, what's the secret with the water? Can I bottle it? Pass it out, whatever. What can I do with that water? Right? Come on, come on. Tell me what the secret formula is. He wanted to know what the formula was. Aren't we that way sometimes? 
Aren't we that way? Things happen, and we want to know. We've experienced things, something so dramatic in our lives, things that don't make any sense, but something like that. Oh, maybe we can do that again. God, just do the same thing again. God's like, no, I don't work that way. But here he is, this man, this general, is experiencing something that is so wonderful, so amazing, it's life-changing, and this is the point of the story. This is the point of the story. This is the point of the story for our lives. There is a reality of God that only comes in certain moments when we step out in faith with little or no explanation. You step out and say, God, I'm actually going to trust you. Where in your life right now are you like this guy, Naaman, who is somebody that is so far from God? He doesn't know anything about Yahweh, doesn't know anything about Israel. He just knows that he can go in basically whenever he wants and take what he wants. He goes on these raids. What about you? Where do you need to take a step of faith? Where is God saying to you, in this area of your life, you need to take a step of faith? Whether it's in your marriage, you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling, you're in a relationship you shouldn't be in. Maybe you haven't given a dime. Pastor Joe was talking about, you know, the offering. Hey, listen, it's been great, but I know there are some of you in here that you can give more. And I'm not asking just for your own soul, not for us, for you. I care about you. Maybe you want to be a percentage giver. I don't care about us. Yeah, we need to keep the lights on. We have to pay the electric bills. There's a lot of things we have to pay for. But what about you? You're giving to yourself. Come on. Where is God challenging you in your life today? Where is he challenging you to take a step into the water just like this guy Naaman had to do? And I love the rest of the story. You want to see that this is, the slave girl is probably my second favorite part of the story. This is my favorite part of the story, right at the end. Look at, skip to verse 17. Will you look at this? And it's kind of bizarre. It's weird. So Naaman said, he doesn't, and I, I skipped this part though. So Naaman wa- says, I, I want to pay you, right? You got, I have to pay you for this. And Elisha's like, dude, you can't pay me for this. This was, it's not my power. God did this for you. I didn't do anything. That's not how things work. I know how you've lived your life. You do not owe me anything. All I care about is that you look up and you see that there is a God who is on the throne. And you have your own gods, right? You have your own gods back at home, but he's the one true God. He's the living God. And so Naaman says, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Really? Do you see what's going on here? Why would he do this? Why would he ask for some real estate? Why is he asking for dirt? I want dirt from here. I want to take this back home. You see, for the Arameans and for the Israeli people, the Jewish people, that was so important because what this represented, I mean, first of all, he wants to, this is like a covert operation. I want you to see this guy Naaman is not going to go back home with like wheelbarrows and like show up at his abode and be like, hey, look at our God. I got all this, you know, dirt. I, what happened? I was healed. And this is going to be like a secret thing. I see this as a guy going back home and he dumps this dirt in his backyard somewhere and it's in a private place. And I have to imagine, here's a man that gets on his knees every day, and he thanks the real, one, true, living God for the miracle that he has experienced in his life. And he'll never forget that it's the place that is a defining moment in his life, and he'll constantly go back in his mind to that moment when he took a step of faith, and he didn't know who God was, he didn't know who this prophet was, and you may look at it, why was he so thick-headed? No, that's us. But he took that step of faith, and I have to imagine that became holy ground for him and his family, and every single day, he He never forgot what happened many years ago at the Jordan 
river. Isn't that cool? I would have loved to see that as part of the story, to see him just carrying all that dirt back, putting it somewhere on his property, and remembering, having it as a reminder of who God was in his life and this incredible moment that will live on forever. So what is the most recent thing that God is banging on the door of your heart about? Is it, is it your marriage? Like, the, is, it, is it really tough? Is it, are there really difficult, is it a difficult time for you and you don't want to stick it out, but God's saying, listen, it may not look, things may not look like it's going to work, but I need you to stick it out. I need you to stick it out. Is it with your finances? Really, I said it before, but let's say it again. Is it something we can come up with a million excuses as to why we don't give? Is it your time? I am so busy. You have no idea how busy I am. Yeah, I do. I understand how busy you are. I understand, though, there is a great big God who has not lost any of his power, and he is constantly prodding, and he's searching, and he's trying to make us take those steps of faith and believe and trust him that he knows exactly where we are at, he knows exactly where we're going, but we have to be the ones. He's constantly speaking to us through other people, he's speaking through life circumstances, and he's saying, step into the Jordan, just take that step. You will never regret it. One of the regrets in our lives as we get older will be that we didn't take the steps into the Jordan, that we didn't just go in, that we didn't dive in. What are those things that you're going to regret as you get older? This guy, his story's in the Bible. What if he didn't, though? What if he said, you know what? I'm not going into the Jordan River. I'm going back home. And for some of us in here, you didn't go into the river. I didn't go into the river. And those, things, those are things we have to live with for the rest of our days. The beauty of this world is, and the beauty of this life as a Christian is, is that we still have time. And there is one who is on the throne who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. He is able to take those situations and circumstances, the stories from the background of your life, from your past. He's able to rearrange and change things and transform things and change you from the inside out. It may not look, again, do not sit there and focus on your pre- what it looks like, the visible circumstances. Under- there's a God that's underneath the water and his love runs so deep. Would you let it? So as we come to this table... As we come to this table, that's what I want you to think about this morning. I want you to think about those, that situation in your life. Just pick one. Pick one situation where you need to take that step of faith and you need to really trust him. I don't think we talk enough about faith. We really don't. Where is it? Does it look crazy? It may look crazy. And you know what? You need to check with other people, though. I know the Quakers have clear, you know, clearness committees where they talk about you know, issues and circumstances. I'm not saying go out and do something that is foolish, that is not wisdom. And if you think it is, you, that's why he's given us the body. That's why he's given us community. We, harp, we talk about it over and over again. We can't talk about it enough. You ask other people. And I've seen so many people shipwreck their lives, and they wonder afterwards, and they tell us, and they say things I don't want to be like, did you ask anybody or did you just do that? Did you just go buy the house? Did you just go buy the car? I've been there. I've made mistakes. I know. I don't want to do it anymore. How about you? Have you made mistakes and you're just flying solo? No, no, I'm in the church. I'm in a small group. I'm not saying that. You may be in a small group, but are you really sharing your life with other people and asking their input? 
Come on, we don't challenge each other. My generation, listen, I'm 41 years old. When it comes to, I wish, I need to probably get to the point where we could talk, hey, how are you doing with your finances? Are you giving the church? How are you doing? You giving? You'd be appalled, some of you. You'd look at me, what? That, you just asked me that question? How come we don't, how come we don't, how are you doing stewardship-wise in general? Not just, how about your time? You giving of your time? How are you doing with your family as a father, as a mother? How you, how's that going? How are you doing as a husband? How are you doing as a wife? That's what church is. It's not just come here and play the game. That's what many of us do for our entire existence, and we don't take any risks, and we don't jump into the water, and we don't trust God. I want to be like Jeremy Camp, not in a foolish way, but I want to be reckless. That's why I listen to it all the time. Reckless. I want to run after him with reckless abandonment. Because I know that nothing else satisfies. You may find this, so, and this is like, it is so silly, but it's a picture. I sat there again, you're going to laugh, some of you are going to laugh, but I sat there yesterday at the end of our like, football draft, and I sat there and I said, you know what? I love football, I love it. I played it my whole life. I played it you know, high school, college, I love it. And you know I love football. I don't like it, I love it. You get it, yeah. And I sat there though and was like, you know what? This is fun. This is fun. And I did, listen, I wish I could tell you what the crazy stuff I did. Imagine they, they no, they can't find. You want to hear this quick? It's totally. You want to hear this? John said no. All right, forget it. No. Tell that one quick. You have to give me a minute. So I get, yeah, this is, this is, well, I'm just one of your pastors that you want to really know what I'm like. I'm crazy. Right? If you don't know me that well, I went and bought a mask, a silicone mask, and got on the ferry at like whatever early yesterday morning. Guys from Connecticut, come over here. Connecticut, come over. Don't. What are you doing? Oh, guys from Connecticut, come over here right for our draft. So I got on the ferry early. I traveled over on the ferry. I got on the ferry that they're going to be on, but I changed before I got on. I'm in a, like this costume, like this. Old, I mean, this guy looks like death. That's what one of the guys said when they saw me. Well, they didn't know at first, but so I have this mask on, I have this old man outfit on, and I'm just sitting on the ferry, and I'm pretending I'm breathing heavy, and everything, I want to see, like, do these, these guys, and it go, the story goes on and on, but crazy, crazy, but you know what I said, though, Pastor Linda, you know what I said? I said, you know what, and I said it, to, I, I text my wife, I said, you know what, I knew Jesus was like, this is funny, really, the picture we have, it was in good, it was good humor, no, listen, it was all in fun, anyway, that's, um, that's probably the craziest thing I've ever said preaching a sermon. This sermon is over. But really, getting back to my point, I sat there last night. I sat there last night. It was like, I really, I just, I started to get emotional because I'm like, you know, really nothing satisfies. I love this. I love football. All these things that we love in this world. I'm like, is this really going to give me eternal happiness? Like the old happy meal, right? Come on, really? Is it? Only one thing really satisfies. That guy found it in his story. I don't know what the rest of his days were. And I know it's hard. Listen, I know you leave this place and everything out there says it's not the most important thing in the world. But it is. It's your soul. Go ahead, Pastor Linda. I'm done. You know, when he asked us, What's the one thing God's talking to you about changing in your life? You know, we should have a quick, very fast answer to that. And if we don't, it's because we're not listening. Because God's always talking to us about things in our lives.
he wants to help us with, he wants to dialogue with us about, he wants to free us from. So, Pastor, you were talking about those, uh, those things, those putting your foot in the water. God's asking you to go across the street to that neighbor. God's asking you to put your foot in the water baptismal. Um, whatever God is asking you outwardly to do, join one of the ministries here. Your time, your money, we just heard this, your talents. But I want to say it's not just that as you come to this table this morning. You know one of the things God's talking to me about? Not external things, but internal things. Maybe being quick to judge people. Maybe being a little bit too fast with anger or our tempers. Maybe in our home. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe you find yourself being a critical person. Maybe there's somebody you haven't forgiven in your life that you really, that's really keeping you stuck somewhere. This table is the glorious news that you're not alone in this. God's already won the victory for you, and he just wants you to talk to him about it and say, God, I don't even know what to do with this anymore, but I'm opening the door to you for your victory. Come in and free me. I don't want to live like this anymore. Does this talk to anybody in this room? Are you like me? Is God coming in and getting even more uh, picky with you about, do you say things and after it's over, God says, hmm, that was insensitive. Or that was, you know, that was off color. Or I don't know what. So I just say this morning, if you didn't know, when, when Pastor James said, what is it God's talking to you about? I just want to tell you, we should know. We should be always, always open to God to all the time as we're as he's transforming our life this is not I say a prayer I get saved and now I'm waiting for heaven this brothers and sisters is our training ground this is our classroom this is where we get transformed into the to look like Jesus does anybody agree with that amen to that Amen. Do you have a song this morning that you want to sing for us this morning? Amen. Ushers, will you release the people, please? Amen. We're going to come up and receive. We're going to partake of the table of the Lord this morning. His victory, his love for us right now as we partake. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.